Well, welcome back to Unshakable Friends. Grateful to have you listening in uh, again today. We are taking a few weeks here to talk about the war in Israel and to analyze the spiritual and political ramifications of what is happening in the land right now. Um, I hope you had a chance to listen to last week's episode. I know it was a bit long, but I think it was important to lay down a foundation in terms of the question of moral relevance. So if you're tuning in today, but you haven't listened to that first episode, I'd strongly recommend just going back and checking that out. That will be helpful. Today, what I want to talk about is the issue of propaganda. Okay, propaganda. Because here in the West, that is the primary battle that is being fought right now. While there's an actual, you know, actual blood being spilled thousands of miles away here in the West, like we often do, we are engaged in a bloodless battle for hearts and minds and for the swaying of public opinion. And if you've been paying attention, that, that battle for hearts and minds is becoming quite heated. Now, let me give you a simple working definition of what propaganda is so that you can understand it and so that you can see why it's something that we have to be aware of. Propaganda is the art of manipulating symbols, words, and images to produce a desired reaction on a mass scale. Now, make sure you heard the core terms in that definition. Manipulation on a mass scale. So good propaganda, effective propaganda, is not really concerned with truth. Its only concern is to inflame an opinion in one direction or the other. And in the conflict we're seeing in Israel today, the propaganda war is primarily being fought, I would say, in two ways. The first way is the use of particular images that are disseminated through mainstream media, through cable news, and maybe most importantly today, images that are being disseminated across social media platforms, things that go viral very, very quickly. We're talking about images of destruction and images of, of people suffering, images of death. Any image that is going to be powerful in stirring up emotions, either on the one side garnering sympathy or on the other side stirring up anger. And by the way, both sides are engaged in this. You've probably seen some of the footage released by the Israeli Defense Force uh, that shows the up-close sadistic massacring of Jews on October 7th. Horrible. And then you've probably also seen some of the destruction in Gaza from the Israeli bombardment that's been released by, by the more liberal side of the news. And tragically, you've seen images of Palestinian children who've been killed in those airstrikes. And listen, it's all heartbreaking to watch. No matter which side of the debate you're on, it's heartbreaking. And if you're not moved by those images because the victims are on the side that you oppose, then you should check your humanity and you should reboot your moral compass because all of it is tragic and awful. And I think it's important for us as Christians everywhere to acknowledge, even, listen, even if you support Israel as I do, as most of us do, it is important that we acknowledge the suffering on both sides. We should empathize with any Gazan who's been caught in the crossfire of this war because of their rulers, because of Hamas. Just as we empathize with the families of the Israelis who were murdered or taken hostage. Remember, as Christians, we stand with God in advocating for justice, okay? Justice, not vengeance, and there's a big difference there. 
So as we analyze what's happening in Israel, our posture ought to be opposing evil. And yes, that means ridding the world of Hamas because Hamas is clearly a, a terrorist organization that holds to a singular ideology of murder, of murdering Jews and eradicating Israel. And you, you cannot negotiate with that mindset. You cannot coexist with it. Again, go listen to last week's episode if you need more details on that. And here's another thing. Listen, as Christians, I sometimes hear Christians in their, in their commendable desire to be gracious and to be loving, right? It, to, they sometimes fall into the error of looking the other way in the face of evil. And historically, we've seen this happen. We, we saw that happen to some extent in Nazi Germany. Many in the church in the 1940s in Germany went passive and quiet in the face of growing evil. But we're not to sit on the sidelines and say nothing as wicked people spread Satan's agenda on the earth. And the Bible supports that. The Bible has many examples of not resignation to evil, but a holy resistance to evil. So we speak up against it. And if it's within our power and within the scope of Scripture, we stand up and we do something about it. So now coming back to the issue of images being used in the propaganda war, Listen, it's good that images are coming out because we have to see those things so that we can discern what's really going on. Here's where the problem happens, though. The problem comes when you're only being fed images from one side or if you're only looking for images from one side. Why? Because they fit the narrative that you want to promote yourself or you want to be true. That is how we end up being manipulated when we only look at one side of the conflict. So don't get sucked into that trap. Make sure that you're seeking out the full truth from both sides. Otherwise, you just become another pawn being used in the game. Now, the other important tool being used in the propaganda war is words. And this is the primary focus of this episode. Particular words that are being used to manipulate the truth about what's actually happening on the ground. And they're words designed to inflame your opinion in one direction or the other. And this is a tactic that gets used at every level, from the street level protests to the highest levels of government, using particular words to sway public opinion. Now listen, before we get to what's happening in Israel, let me give you a local example of how this has been employed in the past, right here in America. Consider this, how quickly did certain members of the media and certain lawmakers in our country start using the word insurrection after the dreaded January 6th incident at the U.S. Capitol? Insurrection, they all screamed with one voice. And that word became the narrative. And so many people swallowed it whole without even thinking, without going to the definition as if a couple hundred Trump supporters with flags and bear spray were actually trying to overthrow the U.S. government. It's ridiculous. But that worked. The word insurrection still is being applied to that day. It's still being repeated today as a fact. So that is effective propaganda. Effective but wicked because it's not true. Now, in terms of the war in Israel... The favorite word in the same way that's being thrown all around that's on the lips of every anti-Israel activist is the word genocide. This is what you hear them chanting and what you hear them screaming. Israel is conducting a genocide 
on the Palestinian people, they say. Well, this may be the most ridiculous argument being made today, and trust me, there's a lot of bad arguments out there, some of which we'll get to in the coming weeks. But the idea that Israel is a genocidal nation is ludicrous. Here's why. Again, definitions matter. If you don't stop long enough to examine the definition of a word that's being used, you're a likely victim of propaganda. So what is a genocide? Well, let me give you a a simple definition. It's the deliberate and systematic destruction of a group of people due to their ethnicity, their nationality, their religion, or their race. The deliberate and systematic destruction of a group of people. So uh, translated, it's the mass murdering of a targeted group of people. Now, the best example of that in my lifetime was back in 1994 in the African nation of Rwanda, when in just 100 days, Hutu militias went all across the country, village to village, raping and hacking to death anyone that belonged to the rival Tutsi tribe. And they killed close to a million people. Friends, that is a genocide. Now, with that definition in mind, honestly now, can anyone point me to a time when the Israeli government set out to systematically destroy the entire race of Palestinian people in that way? Of course not. And if so, they're the worst genociders in the history of mankind. Now, why do I say that? Because not only has Israel not tried to wipe out the Palestinian people, but over the past 50 years, the Palestinian population within Israel's borders has consistently gone up. In fact, records show that it's tripled in size. And the Gaza Strip is a prime example. Over the 17 years that Hamas has ruled Gaza, the population there has exploded to somewhere around 2.2 million people. Friends, how does a supposed genocidal state allow that to happen? Again, they would be the worst genociders of of all time. But above all that, if you really want to know the statistic that refutes the genocide claim, all you have to do is look at the citizenry of Israel. Very few people screaming in the streets know that 21% of the Israeli citizenry are Arabs. Yes, that's true. More than 2 million Arabs are citizens of Israel and love Israel. In fact, many of them are fighting right now in the IDF against Hamas. So if Israel has a secret agenda to genocide the Arab people, how is it possible that they're allowing 21% of their citizenry, Arab Muslims, to live happy, peaceful lives within their borders with all of the same rights afforded to them as their Jewish counterparts? It's a ridiculous accusation. In fact, I saw a sarcastic comment the other day on social media. It said the the so-called genocide of the Palestinian people in Israel is the longest, slowest, most unsuccessful genocide in the history of the world. Said tongue-in-cheek, of course. Now, you may say there's an objection that says, yeah, Jeff, but so many Palestinians have been killed in Gaza in the past six weeks. It's a genocide. No, that is called war. It's a war in a dense urban setting where Hamas is the target, but where many civilians are still present, either because they chose not to evacuate or because they're being intentionally used by Hamas as shields in homes, in schools, in hospitals. 
And as I shared last time, this is an intentional strategy from Hamas. Start the war, inflict as much death as possible, then retreat into your cities and tunnels and claim to be the victims. You don't get to start a war, retreat, and then say, I'm a victim. Do not fall for that. Yes, it's true. The casualties appear to be high in Gaza right now. How high, we don't really know because the data coming from Hamas is never to be fully trusted. But it's not historically unusual in terms of numbers to see casualties like that in an urban warfare setting. It's tragic. It's awful. But it's not a genocide. Now, next time, we'll look at another few words that are being thrown around, words like occupier, words like colonizer. We'll look at at who's really indigenous to that particular land. So we'll look at some of the history and some of the claims coming out of the Palestinian movement. But friends, for today, stand firm, be unshakable, and keep loving each other well. And I'll talk to you soon.